Hello, this is the Exiting Your Echo Chamber podcast where we learn how to be in the world but not of the world. We also try to understand how we can navigate the various worldviews that are available so that you would give the reason for the faith that we have. Social space and also be a people who would be able to effectively communicate your gospel to understand the differences that are in the society. And we will be people who are truly in the world, but not of the world, mm-hmm. because we shine your light, even in the universe, and throughout the world. We thank you, Father, for giving us this opportunity and even this privilege. We pray that, Father, you preside over our conversation, and you will be glorified in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so we are continuing with the second episode. Last week, we just did an introduction of what an echo team is, and I believe it was a great discussion that we had. And even the fact that we cannot really emphatically say that an echo chamber is um, negative or positive. Right. But today we are going to continue with another episode which uh, has been titled Losing the Comfort of Affirmation. Losing the Comfort of Affirmation. Right. So generally, I think what what we find in an echo chamber is that people generally affirm the stance that you already like. People generally affirm the stance that you already like. And it becomes like, um, I don't know the best word to use, but whether it's a shock or whatever, if you find yourself in a space where you are not really affirmed, like it's like you are, you, you are swimming against the tide concerning the views that you have. And I believe that as part of our effort to truly exit our echo chamber or being able to put our echo chamber in the best use. There's a place where we need to be comfortable with losing affirmation, right? So I don't know what are your thoughts on this. Is it something, do you think this, um, in my mind, this looks like the first step that, or the first, if not the first, one of the topmost mental state that an individual should have. So, I mean, what do you think, guys? What do you think? about this, whether losing the comfort of affirmation or bringing yourself to a place where you are comfortable with not having your views not accepted is one posture that we can all assume even as we exit our echo chamber. Any takers can just begin. Sure. So I think that as human beings, we, we always want to be, uh, when you're in a space or in a group with other people, you want to be sort of uh, accepted in that group, right? And you want, uh, you want to align with them in the way you think and all of that. And so when when you are in such a group and then you begin to think otherwise or you begin to find yourself having opinions which differ from what the group believes, I think that um, when you think about the fact that once you begin to present that views or once you begin to um, say that, okay, that's what you believe, you could be, I mean, ostracized from the group, could be isolated from the group. I think it definitely presents a challenge to um, to you whether you, whether you really want to take that stance, whether you want to really um, take that stance, which differs from you know the echo chamber. That is to say, because I mean, you know that once you do that, you're no longer going to be sort of accepted in that group. And I think as human beings, um, I mean, we don't like to be alone. I don't know. That's what I think. I think that we, do, we don't like to be alone. I think that we always want to be accepted in the group. We always want to be, uh, when we are in the group, we always want to be accepted 
in the way we think and all of that. But I think at the end of the day, this all boils down to what we started talking about, like um, we started talking about truth. That uh, is it true? Like when, when you think for yourself and you look at the situation and then you see that okay, why believe in this approach? But I don't think that's the truth anymore. I believe that this um, new idea that I've come across is the truth. That is what I believe to be true. Then I think that you you owe yourself. Um, I mean, it's only, it's only the right thing to do, right? It's only the right thing to do or the honest thing to do to stand for the truth rather than be in a place of comfort. So to me, it boils down to, are you willing to be on the side of truth or you just want to be comfortable? Yeah. All right. So you just have to ask yourself that, are you willing to be on the side of truth or you want to be comfortable? I don't know whether I'm quoting rightly, but I think there's a verse that says something like, all those on the side of truth, listen to me. Can someone correct me if I'm wrong? I think Jesus says something like that, right? Am I misquoting or it's not scripture? I think Jesus says something like, those on the side of truth listen to me. Something like that. Let me. Well, any Sam, if you already can, while I look for the scripture, you can go with, with your thoughts. The premise that I gave, the whole idea of losing the comfort of affirmation. What are your thoughts? How do you? What do you think about it? And how? How do you think is the? Should I say? Would you regard it as the first step in one has to make as they are preparing to exit the echo chamber, as we described the other time. Okay. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I think, okay, but before that, the, I think the scripture you are looking for is in John 8, 45. I don't know if that's the one you are talking about. Okay, so I, I think I've looked at it. John, is it 18, 38? Something yeah. like everyone on the side, or everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Okay. Yeah, so it, it maybe because... John 8, 37. Okay. Let me, okay. yeah. Everyone I think, well, I, I think uh, okay, I don't know if but the scripture I'm seeing is um 45. John chapter eight. I think the verse okay. number 45 thereabout. Seems he repeated it twice because I'm also seeing it at John 18 37. Where 37 before, 18 37 18. 18, John 18. Okay, okay. Where everyone that is of the truth hear it in my voice when it was before pilot. So I think okay. uh, that's a scripture to buttress um, compass point that he made. So Sam, you can go with yours. Okay. Um, generally, as um, Sami said, I also agree. I think that naturally we all want to belong. Everybody wants to belong to something. I was, for me in particular, I always get surprised when I see how people are so enthused about a football club they support or an old school association, the, the vein that they, they go around telling people, oh, I attended this school or I belong to an institute of this, an institute of that. Everybody has that yearning to belong. So I think exiting your echo chamber, we are not going to live in isolation. We are simply suggesting that where you are belonging, even though it may be comfortable, because that's what you are introduced to at first, that is not their destination. Even though that is where you are introduced, that is not where you are supposed to be. So your yearning for belonging should not just be because you want to belong or you want to be part of something. But I think that it should go beyond that. And if you go about, I want to belong to the truth. I want to belong to the right echo chamber. And I think when you have that, you'll be willing to discomfort yourself to enter that chamber because at the end, you still have the comfort and that's the true comfort that you're actually looking for. So the best comfort is in being in the echo chamber of the truth. And that may sometimes cost you a temporary moment of discomfort, but in the long run, it will bring you a lasting and true comfort. 
So basically, that's what I have. Yeah, thank you so much for your thoughts with us. Okay, I guess um, I'll proceed with with what we have today. Now, so I don't know how many of us are familiar with cancel culture. Are we are we all familiar with uh, the the term cancel culture? The idea of cancel culture. Yeah, yeah, I think I am. To some extent. Okay, if, okay, Sam, then you can go. Um, okay, for cancel culture, I think some people so call it um call out culture. It's where maybe a way of ostracizing ostracizing someone um because the person belongs to a particular group or a particular ideology or a particular equity in this context. And I think because nobody wants to be pointed at. Nobody wants to be ostracized. Nobody wants to be seen as odd or different in a particular way. You would all want to just be in the flow and be in the in the rhythm of the other way. So because of council culture, we don't want to be singled out. We don't want to be pointed out. We don't want to be isolated from everybody. So sometimes I think that's what reinforces the comfort we enjoy in our current um, echo chamber. The fear of being singled out. The fear of being isolated. The fear of being seen as different from everybody is what makes us just settle in our current echo chamber. So I think basically that's what I have. Um, Kwampa, can you share your thoughts on this first too? Yeah, okay, sure, sure. So I think that, I don't know, maybe somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this council culture uh, started with, um, was along the lines with this Me Too movement. I think it started with this uh, movie producer, director, Harvey Weinstein, who was basically abusing actresses and stuff. And so they began to call him out together and then they brought suits against him. And as a result, he lost, I mean, everything. All right. So that I, for, for my understanding, from what I remember, that's how it started. And then he graduated into becoming something else that it gets to a point where if you don't agree with a, a group, for instance, a LGBTQ community, once you don't, um, your, your ideology, or your uh, your ideology on sexuality and then um, gender and all of that, if it doesn't align to what they believe, then they begin to you know call it out like say mass. I don't know what to call it, say propaganda, but something like that. And then they go out on Twitter, they start calling you out. If you have deals with, I mean, a group, um, a, a company or something, they start you know bashing that company to drop you on and on and on until they, are, they get what they want and they are satisfied. And I think that what that does is that uh, it gets to a point where it creates a problem. Uh, I think it's going to create an echo chamber in itself because it gets to a point where everybody's afraid to really see what they believe or what they really think. Because if they do that, they're going to be oh, cancelled. They're going to lose everything that they've worked so hard for. So there's, it's going to put people in fear so that if you have a different perception or you have a different idea to, or you think differently from what these LGBTQ people usually, they, they push this kind of thing. You think differently from, you know, what they think, then they are going to cancel. So when you bring it to our context, I think that sometimes you, you, you could possibly be in a group that, and I think maybe usually in church circles, right? And um, if... You, you believe differently from that group, like maybe a denomination or something. Denomination believes one thing, and then you also begin to, I mean, say different or say otherwise. Then you are going to be, in a sense, cancelled. 
I think in a in a way, I don't know. In a way, is that I don't know if it's the right thing to do in a way. Because at the end of the day, every leader or every shepherd wants to protect his sheep or congregation. And so if that leader in his own wisdom thinks that when you are introducing this new idea into his group, you are going to, you know, uh, affect the sheep. It's because contrary to what he's teaching, and you're also saying something else, they are going to sway, take some of his sheep away. Then I believe that in that sense, he has every right to, you know, counsel you. But then whether or not, who, who is, who is um, actually teaching the truth, the leader or the person who is bringing the new idea, which one is the truth? That's also another question. But then I think that if you're a leader and then you're teaching something and you find somebody else creeping in and trying to, you know, bring something new into your group, I think that you have every right to, for lack of a better word, cancel that person from that group so that you can protect your sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Abba, please, can you share your thoughts with us? Okay, that's good. Um, this cancel culture subject, I think um, the first time I also got exposed to it was this Me Too movement. And I think basically what it's about is that when you have certain views which don't align with the popular culture of the time or maybe of your circle, then you get ostracized. I think some use the word singled out. So you get singled out and you get ostracized and then not just ostracized, you get demonized. So it's not just that we will not talk to you, but everybody criticizes you. And if anyone makes the mistake of actually associating with you, then that person also gets ostracized. And I think that's how Harvey Weinstein even lost everything in the first place because now anybody that dared to come close would also lose. If you're an actor, then nobody's going to cast you. If you're a musician, they are going to stop listening to your music. So you'd want to just stay as far away as possible. I think it's a similar thing that is happening to one of the, I think Prince Andrew, the, the son of the queen. So they've stripped him of all titles and everything because he also has a similar issue in that circle. Um, relating it to the issue of echo chamber and what we are about, I think that um, having that cancel culture means that everybody is afraid to actually speak up and you're afraid to say what you think because immediately you, you make up your mind or you decide to even ask questions there's already a red flag, you get ostracized, you get demonized. I've, I had a friend who was part of a particular, let me say, sect in a religious group. And you can see that she had questions, but she dared not ask. She dared not ask because immediately you ask, you lose friendships, you lose family. It's like, how are you thinking in this manner? How come if you are thinking in this manner, then it means you're on your way to, um, I don't know, <laughs> You are being used by the devil in quote. So I think that it, it could be a very dangerous thing because it means that it stifles, um, I don't know, it stops people from thinking. It stifles free thought. It doesn't give you that opportunity to even ask questions in the first place, much less to receive answers to those questions. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Um, all of us have brought some deep dynamics to this whole thing and it's getting interesting over here for me. Like, Yes, it's so perfect that we all come to have I mean, this conversation. So I also share my thoughts on the council culture thing. It's, there's this, I think someone mentioned that they even demonize you at some more, right? You get to a point that you are even demonized. So it's, 
as if I mean from the, the instances where okay, this I mean sometimes we have what might um, come across as clear even within the church context, right? What must uh, might come across as a clear, especially abuse of power as a Christian leader or maybe issues relating to sexual assault and all that. And I mean, people would want to disconnect from me because it assumed that every single time that you associate with whoever is in the negative lens of the public, it means you are also um, with them, right? Like you are in, in it with them together. And if, even this actually brings to mind um, the issues that Jesus Christ had, right? They were like, uh, which kind of guy is this? Because wait, he's even eating with the sinners. I don't know whether it's applicable over here, but they were like, the fact that this guy is eating with the sinners or who they call sinners, the fact that this guy is so free with the uh, task collectors and he's just, I mean, having a good time with them. Nah, this can't be from God, right? And it sounds like an outright, I don't know what they best, but it sounds to me like, a typical case of uh, cancel culture within the, I mean, to a certain degree, Jesus's um, credibility was on the line because that's one thing that we even see in our, especially the secular context, right? Everything about you is just now you come, you become, I don't know whether anathema is the right word to use, like you are freely not accepted. And that's one thing that we also experience over there. But I want, I want to pick off uh, some point that Kompa made. Oh, I just want to state this clearly. Um, I, I just want to state this as bluntly as possible and others who take their turn to um, give their thoughts. We were talking about some groups being demonized or let's say in our context, an idea of some persons demonized. Would we say it with a greater degree or where you find yourself in the church circle? Do you think the Jehovah's Witness have been cancelled? Anyone who is ready can um, give their take, especially from, would you say that Okay, would you say that your church leaders or your the leaders that you have at the moment, listening to them almost every time and what they say, do you think that, would you say that they've cancelled Jehovah Witness to the extent that it seems that all that they teach there's not even a degree of truth in it? I mean, because they come across as a Christian religious sect, right? Any takers on this? Because we are discussing the idea of Meko uh, Chimba and Kompa brought up a point which seems to be that this whole council culture is a, a protection mechanism by our leaders. So I just want to put it bluntly. Do you think the Jehovah Witness have spread from this? Okay, fine. If I heard you right, yeah, I think it's a it's a defense mechanism in our church setting. But I think Paul um, gives an instruction that they ask, I think um, either to Timothy or so. It was like some people are teaching some strange things. When he said she should rebuke them steadily and should not give them an opportunity to talk. And I think another time it was like, do not even um, invite such people or sit with them. Um, I think either Paul gave that advice or John, John, yeah, John, John, I think John gave that advice. He was talking to the letter, one of the letters he wrote, either first, second, or third, John. He was like, we should not even invite some people into our household, not less more of um, eating or dining with them. So, yes. That can be as a defense mechanism, especially considering the fact that the sheep or the people that are in your food, not all of them are fully matured. Not all of them can descend between good and evil. Not all of them can accurately tell right from wrong. So in, in attempts to protect those people, we must have we must have the way of singling them out. And I think even in Revelation, when Jesus was 
giving his commentary about the churches. There's a particular church he commended that they hated the works of somebody whom I also hate. So God is not just going to reward us for the things or the people we love, but there are certain things we are supposed to hate. There are certain things we are supposed to call out. And I think, yes, again, Paul called out the hypocrisy of, I think, Peter when he was eating with the, with the Gentiles, but when the people from Jerusalem came and he ignored them. So as a leader in a church setting, there are certain, there are many things we must be bold enough to call them out because the more you condone them, the more you become comfortable with them, the more you are hurting yourself. And as I said, in Revelation, Jesus applauded the church because they hated a particular teaching which he also hated. So yes, it is a form of a defense mechanism and I think it's the best form of a, um, of a defense mechanism. Even if you look at some movies, when certain, um, those mission movies, when a certain agent goes rogue, one thing they do is that they send information out, like either the news or whatever, that you are looking for this person. They want to single that person out. And immediately that happens, the person now becomes uncomfortable. Either the person starts wearing uh, glasses or hat just to cover the person's or just to expose, yes, when you expose the person, it hinders the person's work. And I would just like to end with um, a scenario that I love so much. If you are in a neighborhood and the thief or a thief thrives in the neighborhood because of his unknown identity, but the day we know that, oh, this house is where the thief comes out or the thief stays, automatically the thief loses his grip in the neighborhood because we know that when anything gets missing, we know the house to go to. So the thief preys on his unknown identity in a particular neighborhood. And so also in our church, in our echo chamber, one way we must protect our echo chamber is by always exposing out the teeth in our midst in, 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 a, in a certain sense. So I think, yes, calling out or, or yeah, calling out or a call out culture, the council of culture, it's a form of defense mechanism in, in the church. So that's my view. Uh, thank you for your thoughts. Either it's best or not is here to discuss so um Krampo, yeah, yeah. if you are if you are ready if you can also take your thoughts on the initial submission i made yeah, yeah, yeah sure sure so yeah i think that um when someone was speaking uh i think in paul's letter to titus i just want to read it trustly titus 1 10 to uh, 11 says that for there are many insubordinate men empty talkers and deceivers especially the circumcision party they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for base gain, because they have no right to teach. So yes, as um, you know, some said, it is a defense mechanism. And I think a good one that that I am total agreement with. But to bring it back to the question you asked on the Jehovah's Witnesses, I think from, for me, I've heard, um, the truth is that I've not really studied the Jehovah's Witnesses to really know what they believe. I think I have an idea what they believe, maybe they do not believe, you know, that Jesus is God, but I'm not really sure. I don't know what they believe in, uh, like totally or completely, right? Then, so I think last week we um, talked about whether we have some foundations that are non-negotiable or uh, some foundations that I think for that one, no matter what, we need to agree on them. And that's if you do not agree on such foundations, you cannot, you know, we cannot consider you or we cannot. Uh, roll with you or something like that. I think that one of those foundations, I believe, is on the deity of Jesus. And so if I find a group that do not believe in that, I think that's questionable. And I think that such a group 
uh, can be rightly cancelled by the Christian community. Yeah. All right. So I know who to report. I mean, we know that Kwampa is in support. If anything comes, I know who to report. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if I'm wrong, you let me know. But I'm assuming that. Um, I'm assuming that in the context of the scriptures that we read, or let's say in the biblical times, right? I'm assuming that the rate to which I mean they are exposed to certain information is not as over a year. Now, let's. I mean, we are, we are now talking from the premise of let's say the positive, what we might say, the positive aspect of a council culture, like within this discussion, right? Where we are saying that. It seems that it's for every shepherd, right? It's, it's a way for us to kind of identify the people that our sheep shouldn't listen to or stuff like that. But I want to know which approach do you think is the best? Because at the end of the day, are we going to tell our sheep to um, never give, uh, what do you call it? Never even pay heed to them or never give them the the people we think are worse off or are perpetuating what we call lies so that they wouldn't even get to know the things that they are teaching or we would rather take it upon ourselves to actually teach them our, our what do you call it our sheep for them to know and also give the reasons we believe um that they deserve to be cancelled i don't know whether it's what i'm asking comes clear what do you think is the best approach because from what you are saying now, you are like Paul is Paul to Titus, like they shouldn't be hate to this particular teacher, right? Is it that do we think Paul um, in writing the letters probably took time to explain why what the person is teaching is off? Or Paul feels that the very fact that this information or this knowledge is shared by this person, the sheep wouldn't be able to withstand it. So the best is just. Just close your ears, never listen to such a person. What do you think should be our approach? And probably if our context is different from this, how do you think we should approach this? Hope it's clear. Yeah, I think it is. Arabife, if if your network is stable, you probably would want to go first before. Yes, yes, uh, it is. So I'm starting on the defense mechanism thing. Yes, I think that Cancel culture can be a defense mechanism. Um, I think that most of the time, wherever that it is used, it's meant to be a defense mechanism, actually, so that you don't even ask certain questions or proffer certain opinions in the first place. And that protects the people within that sect or group or people with that worldview. So nobody's bringing anything from outside. It's all just what all of us already believe in. And the question is, should we just tell people not to listen to someone or you tell them not to listen to someone for a reason? I think that the whole idea about law is that usually when you tell someone not to do something, then they really want to check it out and know why you are telling them not to do it. So, um, yes, you may tell someone because we've had, I remember when I was on campus, there were certain times that like maybe other Others who were also, I don't know whether to say, more advanced in the things of God will say, oh, be careful about this particular minister or be careful about this person listening to this particular man of God. And by telling me that, it meant that I would 
maybe look at them twice or not try to not follow their ministry or not pay attention to those people. And probably it helped me in a way. But then I believe that sometimes it's good to let the person that are telling not to follow someone understand why. We may not always be, I mean, from men of God may, or your pastor may not always be able to explain or whoever is the head of the group may not always be able to explain why you shouldn't listen to the person, but they can give you a gist because we're understanding differ and our maturity differs. You may think that you're trying to build your your church members in the Christian setting. You're trying to build your church members and prepare them against certain doctrines, but you may end up confusing them. So you may maybe open it up a little to them and let them know that just be careful about this person. Don't listen to this person. Maybe give them one reason because you cannot reasonably anticipate everything that that person may preach or teach, but you, you are certain as the shepherd over their lives that this person is not going to help them. So yeah, it, it will be good for pastors to be able to tell their sheep that be careful about this this doctrine, be careful about this ideology, don't pay attention to this or that. But by our nature, we are always trying to know why. So knowing a bit of the why can really be helpful. Yes. All right. Um, I think I don't know whether I don't know. Um, I don't know who said it, but something about even the law as we have in scripture has to do with. I think Paul was Paul on a should I say on a very long rant or something like that said that it was. I forgot who actually said it, but it was something along the lines of it was when the law came that he knew that this. I mean when. Sin came when the law came. Like, no, how do I put it? Correct me if I'm but there's something with, about sin coming into force because of the law, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, yeah, so, yeah. I'm, I was, yeah, I'm just speaking of our best friend. The, the fact that you told me, hey, don't do, you'll be dead sure that the thing that I wasn't even thinking about in the first place, now that you're telling me that I shouldn't do, now I would want to do and find out. So I think that's, whether it's something about the human psyche or stuff like that, but yeah, I'll leave it there. Anyone to t- share their thoughts on the initial um, comment that I made? Come if you're ready, you can yeah. and some will follow. Uh, yeah, sure. So for me, yeah, I think um, what I'll say is that it's always important. I, I think, as I said earlier, a leader has the right or the authority to, you know, protect his sheep and so tell them, okay, don't listen to this person. Don't listen to such and such person. I think, as Araba said, it's always good to provide some sort of context as to why uh, I shouldn't listen to such a person. But I think another thing is also is to always build people or make sure that you are helping people to grow and you are building them, you are teaching them to be able to think because you are not going to be there for them always. And you can't control what people here. So in this day and age of social media, somebody's going to see something or someone's status in one way or the other, they're going to come across what you don't want them to hear. So I believe that um, as a leader, it's always good to train people, teach them, build them up so that they can also, you know, think from this for themselves according to the scripture, of course, and according to how, you know, they've been taught. That's when they um, hear something which is not scriptural, not in line, or they hear something that you uh, as a leader are trying to protect them from, they can quickly identify it and then stay away from it. And, but another thing also is that maybe in the past, I've heard people say that, um, oh, don't listen to such and such person, and they, they never said why. And, you know, for, for you go and find out that even the person saying that, oh, don't listen to this person or don't read such a person has never even read 
a book by that person has never even listened to that person and then they're only saying that because someone has also told them that oh don't listen to this person or don't read this person and it's because of a misconception that someone created about the person to them and so they pass it on like that like that like that and then maybe later i've you know listen to that person and or maybe i've heard that person like that oh this person is actually great it's good there's really nothing wrong you know with what they are saying and so sometimes i don't know get interested like that and as i said it always comes down to the truth you see why are you trying to protect the person from this so if you always provide the context that this is why you shouldn't listen to such a person and then you have you're also able to train the person to think for themselves so they can identify that okay you are saying i shouldn't listen to this person because of this and this and this okay you're right if, if somebody's teaching this and that and that then the person is carrying around and i shouldn't listen to them at all because as i who are also very curious and so that's why Robert said that. He said that, don't do this. That's exactly what they want to do. They want to find out why, why should I do this? Curiosity is always there. And so you have to also make sure that they can think, they can identify, or they can identify error and truth when they see it. And when you do that as a leader, I think it really helps people rather than always say, well, don't listen to this person. And then you don't, you're not, you're not building the people, you're not training the people to be able to, you know, think for themselves or also identify truth and then error. Yeah. All right. Comba, thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, I'll pick up a few points and then, and then this, obviously. Um, so, Sam, well, what are your thoughts on, on the... Okay. All right. So, I just want to be a bit more complicated <laughs> in my answer. The best approach in my opinion, I think depends on two things. One, who your ship is. Because I, my, I've been fascinated by how my sister, when she tells her child, do not do this. The child does not ask a question. The child doesn't ask, why shouldn't I touch this? Why shouldn't I go there? But then we all know that at a particular age, when my sister tells the son that do not do this, he's definitely going to raise the question. So the best approach will be determined by the state of your ship. At a particular age or at a particular stage of the maturity of your ship, you don't necessarily need to provide explanation. You just need to tell the child, oh, stay away from this teaching. And that should be enough. But then as you notice your child, that is why the, the, the duty of a shepherd is a very important one. You are supposed to observe. You are supposed to keep watch over the flock. So you remember in the birth of Jesus, the Bible said, and while shepherds watch their flocks at night, so the shepherd's duty is to watch his flock. So depending on who or the maturity of your sheep, that's what will determine, in my opinion, the best approach to go. If the person is a babe, like in the context of um, physical, oh, one year, two years, three years, four years, you can just tell the child that do not play with the knife, do not do this, do not do that. Then as the child begins to grow, two things will happen. One, the child himself will learn by default why not to do certain things. You understand? So by the time my, my sister's child is around 10 years or let's say 11, or let's say around 12, 13, my sister won't need to tell my, the child everything, what to touch or what not to touch. The child, by reason of maturing, will know that, oh, we don't play with the stove. We don't touch this. We don't do this. But yet still, there will be other things that the child will need further explanation to. And when you as a shepherd begin to see that your sheep is asking some questions, that's the time, it, that may be a hint 
that it's time for you to go a step further. And that's when the explaining will come in. That's when the sitting down and taking the person through certain teachings. Maybe as a group, you have not been able to teach your, your sheep those things. But you are realizing that one of them is, in, in quote, outgrowing the sheep. Then that person will need special attention. And I just want to read um, John, 2 John 1, the verses number 7 to number 10. But I want to start with the verse 10. And it says that if there come any to you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Hey, Papa John is serious. He's saying that when some people come to your house and they do not bring you a particular doctrine, and there's a reason why I started with the verse 10. He says, when they do not bring this doctrine, do not even receive them. And when they are going, do not wish them God's speed. Don't say, oh, God bless your efforts, or oh, go with God, or however pleasantly you want to. He said, do not even give them God's blessings. This is one way to deal with these things. But then before he said this in the verse 10, the verse 7, he said something. He said, for many deceivers have entered into the world who confess not that Jesus is coming into the flesh, blah, blah, blah. This deceiver is the Antichrist. Look to yourselves. So before he gave this instruction, he had taken the pain to explain to them what the standard or what the truth is. So because he has taken the pain to explain to them what the truth is, he's now teaching the sheep how to handle such situations. So I said the first thing is that you must know the stage or the maturity of the sheep. That would be the best to tell you which approach to go. The next thing I think is that you should, you may not be able to know, but sometimes you should look at the source of the, the wrong teaching. Because some people are genuinely, <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but some people are genuinely teaching out of ignorance. Some people are just not aware and they have just not upgraded themselves. And we know the story of Acts, in, I think Acts 18 or 19, um, what is that name? Apollos. Apollos, when he was teaching only the baptism of John, then Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and taught him a more accurate way. So some people or some people may enter your flock or some people may enter your your yeah, your flock, and then you start teaching certain things. That person may not be a deceiver. That means that the person is not intentionally spreading wrong teachings, but the person is just ignorant. And if the person is just acting out of ignorance, it will be quite damaging, if I should put it that way, just to outrightly dismiss the person. But some people are deceivers, like that is who they are. They know the truth, but they reject the truth. As, as Paul said in, in Romans 1, even though they know what they are doing is wrong, but they deny the truth. It's those people I think you should face them head square. Those people you should not play lightly at all with them. So that's my response to how do we handle these things? Yeah, that's that's a very great one. I think along the lines, um, someone made mention of the fact that we have instances where <coughs> people keep parroting. I mean, the, the one thing about council cultures we're going to uh, discuss the fact that there's a mob action, um, there's a mob, uh, uh, yeah, let's say a mob action or a mob side to it, so that if the, what you call the thought leader, right, within that echo chamber, if you may, say something, it's very difficult for the, what, the, the, the subordinates or those who adhere to those thoughts or those ideas to even try to investigate it. I think it's one thing that it's, because at the end of the day, if the leader says something and the person has erred, are we always should the predisposition of the sheep be to 
what always accept what their shepherd says with a grain of salt? Is it a pinch of salt or a grain of salt? Whichever works. Like, is that the, the, the mindset they're supposed to have? Because the mob action is mob action leads to demonizing that particular person and it becomes very difficult for you to even receive something from that person. So that's one thing I picked up from uh, Compass Quitting. I even don't know how to go about it. But we're even looking at losing the comfort of affirmation. Do we think in part our leaders or the shepherd get to a point where they, do they feel uh, threatened when 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 the the sheep start coming with stuff that kind of overrule over um, go against what they've said? Do you think we are looking at losing the comfort of affirmation? In probably initially, I think we looked at it from the angle of, let's say, the sheep, if, if, if I'm right. But from the shepherd's point of view, do you think these people, our uh, shepherds feel threatened by new ideas when they start coming up from um, the sheep? Do you, do you think it's a thing that happens? And what do you think should be the approach of the, the shepherd as well? I mean, in this light, in the light of well, what I just mentioned. You can make your submission. Sure. Yeah. I think so. I think that um, from the shepherd's perspective, I don't think it would be threatened per se, but maybe concern uh, or worry. Yeah. I think if you read Galatians, Galatians 1 6, let me read it. Paul says that I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. You know, so I think the whole book of Galatians is Paul trying to um, set the Galatian church right. That you know, he has presented the gospel to him, he has taught them the gospel, you know, um, everything, the gospel of grace. And then I think after he left, people, these circumcision guys came in and then they are spreading the circumcision thing among them. And then all of a sudden, it's like the church is beginning to go in that direction. And then Paul is he's so surprised, like, what's going on? How can this happen? And so, you know, he, he writes this letter to them to, you know, you know, set them right again, right? So I think that as, as, a, as a leader, it's always concerned because if you're teaching people something, all of a sudden you realize that something, you know, someone is bringing different ideas, something wrong into your ship. You're always going to be concerned because at the end of the day, you know that you're going to account, you're going to give an account for the ship. To God, God is going to judge you that. How did you take off the sheep? Did you, you know, see them? Right? Did you protect them? Did you care for them? Did you, you know, uh, preserve them? Did you do everything within your power to make sure that they know the truth and then, you know, you build them up? And so, because of that, as a as a leader, when you see that happen, you are going to be very, very concerned. I think that the approach is to always um, reaffirm the truth as you know it. And I think in Galatians, that's exactly what Paul did. You know, he reaffirmed the truth as he know as as he knows it, and then he taught them again, and then also try and um, how do I say? Um, you know, Paul says that pulling down strongholds and um, <clears throat> everything that lifts itself against the knowledge of God, and you bring every you take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Christ. And so, when those ideas or thoughts are beginning to creep in. You, always, you can always tear them down because the weapons of our warfare are not kind of second Corinthians 10. The weapons of our warfare are not kind of. You always are going to bring them down with the truth. You affirm the truth. You teach the truth. And then once the truth comes, people are going to clearly identify what, uh, what is wrong and then they clearly say that, okay, this is the truth. And then they are able to, you are going to be able to set them right. 
yeah, I think that, that's what I think. Yeah, okay. That's great, man. Sam, can you okay. share your thoughts with us? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with Krampus' view. I don't think it's threatened. I think it is more of concern. Jesus himself said that of all the sheep you have given me, I have lost none, but the one who was pretending to be the son of perdition. So I think it's because the sheep, the shepherd understands the assignment that he would have to give account. So for concern and, and Paul again said that woe is me if I preach not the gospel. So I think it's the same for the shepherd. Woe is the shepherd if you are not concerned about these things. So I don't think threatened, but I think great concern and care for the sheep would make the leader feel uneased about it. So yeah. Okay, I guess okay, I was I guess the use of threatened over here came from the background of where I don't know whether I'm conjecturing over here, but it seems to me at times the shepherd would want to keep their numbers by all means. Right? Oh okay. You can go, you can go, you can go. I mean yes, I that one is there. You know, Paul again said I think in Philippians that some people preach the gospel out of the right motive. Some people preach just so that they will cause problems for Paul. Like when they preach, people associate them with Paul and they'll give Paul wahala. So yes, yeah, some people are more concerned about the numbers. And I like to call it the power of numbers or the God of numbers. Right now, numbers is what's ruling the world. Everybody is so obsessed about numbers, be it followers or financial numbers or viewers. So the motive is also very important. But for a shepherd, I think it's a genuine concern not just to, to, to make a name for himself or to go around saying, oh, I have so and so numbers, but because you are passionate about the truth. John said in all his three letters, first John, second John, third John, he kept using one common phrase. He said that I greatly rejoice that I find that my children are walking in the truth. So it is joy that makes him happy. In third John 1 verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And in First John 2, he said the same thing. I have no greater joy. So, well, some people are more obsessed about the numbers and about their reputation. But I think for a shepherd, is the joy of seeing your children walk in their life or your sheep walk in their life. All right, that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's, Please, can, can I also come in? Uh, yeah, sure, sure, you can, you can. Yeah, yeah. But I, mean, I think I, I do agree with Sam. I also think that sometimes, you know, the numbers, one way or the other, would come in. Because, look, we've probably worked hard, gathered people, taught them over the years. And then all of a sudden, you see that the, somebody is coming to, you know, just carry all the people that you've gathered that way. I mean, you wake up one day and then all the people are gone. That you are going to, I mean, as a human being. When you see that, you're going to say, like, what has happened? It's going to disturb you. It's going to affect you. I mean, it's going to cause problems for you. And so definitely, uh, people want to keep... Because once you get to a certain number, I think that you you want to maintain, you want to increase. I mean, I think it's natural in a way. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think that it's only natural as a human being. When you've worked hard and then you've gathered a lot of people, here and then you see that one day something has come to have like the people come to go away you are going to be very very worried about it i'm going to do everything within your power i think someone was reading from a scripture in um second john and then you know in the yes. verse eight he says that look to yourselves that you may not lose what you have worked hard for but may win a full reward and so yeah. saying that you've worked hard to you know 
teach the people the right thing. A lot of a sudden, they should so they should stop the people who would come and um, you know, not actually that Jesus has come in the flesh. They should stop them. They shouldn't even give them any chance at all. Because if they do that, they may lose all that they've worked hard for. They may lose all the people that they've thought they've raised. And uh, that would that wouldn't be a good thing, yeah. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah, so I mean what I even gather from this is the like there's so much work that's supposed to be done by anyone who believes in the shepherd, right? God has given any sheep under their foot because I mean, confirmation that they are definitely going to um, account for every single soul that has been given to them, right? Yeah. And also, the as long as, um, you know, there are various, I think we we agree that there are various levels of growth in for the shepherds. I think it's a fair, it's a fair submission to make that even the shepherds, so for I think every shepherd shouldn't feel overly concerned to a certain degree if I mean someone comes in and they are able to understand I mean someone comes in sharing something else but they don't necessarily have a full a good grasp on what that person is sharing. Because for some people they they might easily some shepherds might easily mount up a defense against something that they don't have full grasp on just because it's quite new to them, right? And the way information circulates fast, the way people get deeper, whether on the positive or the, the, the negative side of things, if that if the, the, the shepherd is not able to handle it, it also comes as a detriment to the, the sheep as well. And in one sense, you probably end up losing the, 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 the sheep because one way or the other, they're going to find out that whatever you were blocking them from receiving from other ministers probably wasn't that wrong. And then they, they start losing some level of faith uh, faith in you or your authority on them begins to wane because for people who are so much about the truth, they would always go wherever the truth leads, right? And I think it's something that we should pass across to anyone who calls himself or herself a shepherd to take note of. Um, I don't know if you are here. Um, are you here? So that I probably rephrase the question and you give your submission. Yes. Um, I'm here. Okay, so we're talking about the fact that do shepherds, is it possible that the whole idea of losing the comfort of affirmation, is it possible that the shepherd is going to feel, I use the word threatened, but I think the it's best put as concerned that these people that I know, they are receiving new information and instead of the shepherd probably trying to understand what they are receiving and maybe informing them appropriately, just because they want to keep their numbers, they, they use that as a they feel, I mean, they feel that they are losing the affirmation from their members. They want to do whatever to keep them by all means. Do you think it's a potential challenge that shepherds are going to face? Yeah, um, I believe it's a challenge that um, every shepherd will face at one point or the other so that um, your members will hear things. I think it, it happens a lot, especially because we have um, so many preachers or so many men of God on radio, TV these days, social media. Every time there's something new, someone preaching something, and there will definitely come a point when a shepherd would have to, I mean, would be confronted with something they haven't heard of or they don't really have a very good grasp or knowledge of. Um, I'm thinking that in the circumstance, I mean, if it were me, what I'll do is 
maybe find out more about the subject and try to help my sheep understand whatever it is. Sometimes it could be strange doctrine. In that case, then I can help them to understand so that they don't get confused. Because um, I remember I ever went, I mean, I was at a church program, not my church, I mean, an event. And there was a question and answer session about tithing. And you know that the subject of tithing is something that so many preachers say different things about. And they all have some backing in scripture to support what they were saying. Now, the pastor was faced with head-on questions, like people asking questions, quoting scripture to support what they thought should be the ideology or the biblical teaching on, on Titan. And the man of God in this case didn't seem to have any question to address head-on what they had to say. And he seemed to be getting angry because they kept pushing because they had heard something and they, they were totally convinced. I mean, in the circumstance, we could just... Okay, for me, if I were him, to save face, I will just say, oh, let's meet after service. Let's talk more about it. In that case, you get to have a one-on-one and try to clarify whatever it is. If you think that you don't have enough knowledge, it's okay to say, oh, okay, I think let's all think about this. The way lecturers like to give assignments when they have no idea <laughs> what you are asking. They just say, oh, let's all go and read around this. Next next week, we are presenting an assignment, I mean, an assignment on the subject. So, I mean, we could just say, okay, let's let's talk about it more. So that, that gives you the opportunity to go and read further because I think some would, would agree with me that as Bible study coordinators, we, we had so many questions coming to us and sometimes you'd have no idea what the person is talking about. They'll point to something in scripture. You may have read it, but probably you didn't even understand it that way. So you, you read it and say, okay, let me get back to you. You try to read more, talk to people, and then you, you would help the person with it. So it's a reality that shepherds will be confronted with issues that they probably have no idea about. The response shouldn't be defensive, but then it should be more of, I mean, if you are concerned with feeding the sheep, then you want to make sure that whatever they are getting is good. And so you'd want to take time, find out more yourself and then address it properly. Thank you. All right. That's, that's great. So the shepherds will be hearing us. It means you have to be on top of your game. If I mean, we know in scripture how Jesus asked Peter how many times was it about three or four times uh, do three you love times. me what's three right do you love yeah. me keep my sheep do you love me some keep my sheep or something like like he repeated to the extent that <laughs> I feel Peter I don't know whether the, the first time Peter was cool second time I don't know if Peter felt that Jesus didn't trust him that much and the third time I don't know whether Peter felt angry right I mean you gotta just the level at which um the shepherd, if you call yourself a shepherd and then you come across, I mean, this, this podcast, in this current generation where people are being taken off by strange doctrines, you know that you have to really up your game and be very um, current in the way the objections that are coming. Because one thing I understand is that a lot of things that I would say were considered a given. People are even questioning the very foundational or fundamental things that you think oh everyone knows. And they said this example in my church in my church, right? It so happened that this whole thing about um I think I remember mentioned something about Titan. This one had to do with I think baptism, right? And for me, well, um it's the the, the so the this the whole thing that people some people stand strongly by the fact that it's supposed to be a water body, a flowing river, blah blah blah. But 
the kind of and in my chair they allow sprinkling, right? The kind of explanation the minister was given along the lines of okay, if you think it's water body, then fine. Let's go to um it's supposed to be then let's it's supposed to be Jordan, the very water body that Jesus was baptizing. Then if it's supposed to be that one, even the it's a river that is flowing. So technically it's not the same water that you would even get if you go to Jordan, right? This very particular moment. And I was like, man, I don't know if my God forgive me, but I was like, please shut up. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I have to admit. I mean, God has forgiven me. But, you know, I, I felt that he was going through so much uh, intellectual gymnastics just to affirm what the, the, the church has probably upheld for ages, right? And I don't know, I thought he... he <laughs> that's when sometimes I use the word threatened, right? Because... It's as if you want them to accept it by all means, stuff like that, right? So these are some of the things that come into play and will be... So how do we um, create an environment? Because um, we are going to share our thoughts on how doubts should hand, handle because there's context where uh, the, the, the mere fact that you entertain <laughs> a very... Uh, you entertain doubts is even seen as a demonic stance that you're even making. So how do you think, even from, let's say, the shepherd's point of view, how do they create an environment where doubts are freely, um, what do you call it, shared with the sheep knowing that, yeah, they'll be affirmed or they'll be corrected or even if, like, they, they wouldn't receive, should I say, a, a negative reaction from the the, the, the group. How, how do we create... Because I think we, to a certain degree, we agree that no matter how you find, no matter what you're definitely going to find yourself in an echo chamber, right? And how do we create that echo chamber of truth that we all agree on? Such a way that doubts could be freely shared in such a way that it wouldn't be detrimental to the growth of the sheep or even the shepherd as well. How could would we be able to create such an environment? Any takers? I always want Araba to go before we listen. So Araba, if you're here. Okay, so um, I'm thinking that maybe as sheep in a church or as a member of a group, if I have doubts about certain things that I've heard my leaders say or that I felt, I mean, that have certain things that have been taught over the period, I think the first person that I'll go to would be to actually go and speak to the leader of the group. I think it's best that maybe pastors let members know that they can approach them with questions because you know, when the question is asked in the open like that, maybe general church something, one, it puts the leader on the spot and then that's when the defensive mechanism comes up. And then two, sometimes then, because we are all at different levels of growth, then people who yeah. may not really get what's being discussed get very confused. And I think that is what even makes the pastors very defensive and they try to say, this is what it is and let's end it here because they are not sure where who is and whether they'll be able to appreciate what they are sharing in the first place, especially when it's a very, very controversial issue. So maybe what we can do is to let our members know, church members know that you can come and see me with any question. And I think that's why having a system where there are different I mean, shepherds over different groups becomes very helpful. Because you know that even if I'm not getting, I mean, the main pastor, I'm getting this shepherd over me, who may then 
I mean, route the question up to the pastor or would address it if he can. That helps too. I mean, it, it, it removes that issue of, okay, we don't know where everybody is at. Somebody may get confused. It removes that issue of defensive mechanism. And basically, I think that, um, let me just say this. There was a point that me, myself, personally, I had an issue because I was doing research for a Bible study outline and I came across some information. It was, it was about the end times. And the information that I came across really got me confused and had me wondering whether Jesus was really who he claimed to be. And he loved me the way, I mean, he was asserting to love me. So as I battled and I, I couldn't tell anybody because the mere fact that I was asking that question cry would mean that <laughs> I'm falling off cry. So I, I had to battle it myself. But what kept me at that point was just reviewing the things that, I, I mean, God had done for me. Just counting my blessings and knowing that, okay, this thing is giving a certain impression of Jesus or giving a certain impression of God. But the God that I have come to experience is not like this. So um, another way of dealing with doubts, I think there's a Methodist hymn that says that his love in time past forbids me to think he will leave me at last in trouble to sing. So sometimes when we have doubts or confusions, if we can look back, because some of the things that we may have doubts about may be things that question the very nature of God. If we can look back and look at our experiences with God, sometimes it would help us to address the issue. But aside our experiences, I think the best would be to, instead of also attacking the man of God in the open and saying that, okay, you've been lying to us all this while. Why don't you approach them and then, I mean, hear what they have to say for us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, because generally there's a sense of betrayal. I don't know, I feel that, because one thing I know is, I think from an example I said some time ago, when people get exposed to new information and they are not able to pass it or process it correctly, there's a sense of betrayal that some people might feel that uh, my separate they, they, they can assume that my shepherd knew all this, but hid it for me. So these are potential challenges. But I mean, back to the whole idea of doubt. Um, Sam, if you're ready, can you share your thoughts? How do you go about oh, it? Okay, not to defend your pastor, but sometimes I, I understand if um, pastors um, lash out like that. Because sometimes <laughs> it's in some way, especially sometimes when you look at the fact that you have maybe taught on this, you have explained over and over again and you have put in so much effort regarding a particular topic. It's like if you're in class, if, if you have ever taught before, there are some questions some students will ask and you really appreciate it. In fact, it is a sign that the person is studying. But there are some questions that students will ask and you wonder, where have you been in class all this while? I don't know if I appreciate what I'm saying. There are some questions that when you ask, the, the teacher will, for example, uh, the only example I can give is a chemistry example. So please pardon me. Let's say if you are doing chemicals, um, chem the elements, we always say that proton number is equal to electron number is equal to mass number. So imagine you are teaching this, let's say, to a year seven student. Maybe in that syllabus, you are not supposed to mention isotopes. Maybe it's in year nine, they are supposed to mention that it's not always the case that the proton number will be equal to the atomic number will be equal to the so on and so forth. But if a student walks up to you and say, oh, sir, I found this element, oxygen, and the proton number was not the same. You will be impressed with the student because it gives you the indication that the student is actually taking your lesson seriously, is doing a further study, and is really interested in what you're saying. So that kind of question line will give you really intrigue. And if, for example, if you're a shepherd, every shepherd will like such, um, such kind of sheep. In fact, most of them, you start training them 
to be junior shepherds because it shows that they are really eager to learn. But if after you have taught, let's say, one plus one, one, you have taught this thing over and over again, and then this sheep comes and is asking a certain question like that, sometimes it just makes you feel angry. <laughs> and I think Paul felt the same, and even Jesus felt the same when he had to rebuke his disciples that, ah, you people still are, all I'm saying, you don't get it. And I think it happened like, I can remember about three scenarios. One that when you mentioned about the living of the Pharisees and the disciples were thinking of bread. And Jesus said, ah, are you people kidding me? <laughs> when I'm talking about the living, why are you thinking about bread? And if I see that about Paul, sometimes Paul could get angry that, ah, are you people still kidding me? Why are you still behaving like children? After all the labor, have I labored in vain? You know, sometimes that kind of vexation is there. Because you feel like you have put a, a lot of effort into, or you have sold a lot of seeds into, into your sheep's life. That at least certain questions, um, you don't expect them. You expect them to be able to reason it out and come up with a, a solution. Then also, I would agree with what um, Araba shared, that we need to be able to remember where God has taken us from. We need to have these foundations um, secured and we should judge all things by these foundations. And I think we'll be, we'll be okay. And sometimes as a leader, you just have to have a big heart. I think for me, that's the main criteria for being a shepherd, a large heart. I always ask myself, I don't know how God deals with all of us. He's really doing well because sometimes you have about three or four sheep you are looking after and boy, they can stress you out. <laughs> but God is dealing with all of us. So I think you should just learn from how God deals with us on an individual basis, on an individual basis. And I think you'll be good to go. Yes, those are my thoughts. Yes, Kampa, can you, uh, you can also share your thoughts with us. Okay, sure. So yeah, I think that when it comes to doubt as a leader, for me, I think that um, in the past, maybe when people have gone and asked questions, probably like last week, he gave, a, he, gave a, he gave an example, right? That a, a guy went, and then, you know, asked the parents certain things in the Bible. And then it's like the answers were not satisfactory. You know, you get something along the lines like, oh, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You cannot understand God and all that kind of thing. And I think that these days, such answers, people do not find such answers satisfactory anymore. And when you try to give such answers, you know, they do they, not listen to you at all. And so, and also another thing that I think as a leader, you have to recognize people who are genuinely interested in knowing the truth and people who have just you know going to find new information they just want to come and attack you or something they just come and say okay they, they know this and this and this yeah, and that's it uh-huh. you have to you know be able to identify those two and then know who to expend your effort and energy on so if you find somebody who is genuinely going through a struggle and a doubt and the person has come to you i think that's that person that you can really you know expend your time on and uh, as a leader it's not the best way to, it's not the best to be defensive at all. It doesn't help in any way. I think that maybe if you are not sure of something, if you if you feel like you don't know because you don't know everything, you're not God. If you know everything, you'll be God, right? If somebody comes in, you don't have the right answer. I think it's it's only right to be honest with the person that okay, this is a good question. I understand where you're coming from, but I don't I don't have the right answer right now. Why don't we, you know? go on this journey and find the truth together. There's something along that along those lines. You buy yourself some time and you know you you commit yourself to it and try to actually help the person because that's why you're there. To actually help the person, right? Then you commit yourself, you know, to doing that. I think that in my opinion, that would be the best way um, to handle doubt. And 
know, as, as shepherds, we must always equip ourselves, as you said earlier, like, you, know, you must up your game, you must be equipped, you must be prepared, because these days, <laughs> social media, because of social media, people are exposed to so many things, so much information out there. People are going to come with questions, people are going to come with confusion, with doubts, because they've been exposed to certain things that you cannot control. You can't control social media. You can't control the internet. So but people are going to, you know, definitely be expensive. People are going to come with such questions. And you must always be ready. You must prepare yourself, be ready, so that, you know, when such a situation arises, you know how best to deal with it. All right. Thank you very much. I mean, along the line, I anticipated that we would probably do a shorter number, but from the look of things, after every <laughs> after every conversation, I'm like, okay, no, it looks like I would have to we would have to probably expand this to a lot more episodes that <laughs> I anticipated. I mean, from the start, one thing that Kwampa said was you should be able to identify people who are genuinely asking questions and some people who just want to come off as smart. Because one thing I've realized on social media, that's how I put it. It seems to me that taking a job at Christianity the low-hanging fruit for intellectuals. Yeah. Let me try and take it again. Taking a swipe or a job at Christianity seems to be a low-hanging fruit for intellectuals. So whenever, um, I don't know how that happens, but it seems that whenever someone becomes, should I say the best word is woke, or wants to sound <laughs> intellectual, then they want to just take a swipe at Christianity as if it's just uh, like insanity that we've believed or, I mean, there's a disconnect. We don't use our brains in Christianity, and that's something that it's, I see more often than not. It's something that actually really pisses me off, but I see it's more often than not, and I don't know how to even um, process it. So on the question of doubts, I think, would we agree that doubts are not necessarily bad in it, in themselves? I mean, we, when you answer this, then you just give us your final thoughts on the whole idea of losing the comfort of affirmation. Are we going to say that having doubt doesn't necessarily mean that you've veered off the faith? Can we be confident in the fact that, can we assure ourselves that having doubt doesn't necessarily mean that you've veered off? So each individual should keep questioning, have an open mind and find um, safe spaces to express them to receive the necessary answers. Can we confidently say that? So Arba will go again for us and after sharing this, you also add your final thoughts about the whole episode on um, losing the comfort of affirmation. Okay, thank you very much. I think that the fact that you have doubts or you have, um, maybe I shouldn't use the word doubts, you have questions, means that you are thinking. I think it's a normal human process that you would have questions about issues. So it also shows that your faith is not just a given because it was handed over to you, you took it wholesale, but then you actually want to believe in this for yourself. It's worth something to you. So yeah, it's normal that you would have questions or, and it's okay that you'd have questions, but I think how we approach the issue of questions, the kind of help that we get from others who are, let's say, our leaders and how we ourselves handle these questions. For example, not thinking that that new thing that you heard means that you are now on top of the others and you are blasting all your leaders because you think, oh, they don't know anything or they are ignorant. So, yeah. So, in short, having questions is not bad 
It's not a bad thing. It shows that you are thinking. It shows that you really want to believe in this for yourself and not just because someone said it. So it's a good thing. But how it's handled is where the issue is. And final thoughts on the issue of losing the comfort of affirmation. Um, I don't know whether to address it from the perspective of who, I mean, the leaders who are always having people within their group accept whatever they say for what it is or from the perspective of the people in the group who are probably just relaxing what they've heard and not um, try to look beyond. But let me just take it from the point of the leaders who may always have had people always agreeing with what they say. If you're a leader or even a teacher and you have all your students agreeing with what you say, it means that they are not reading. It means that they are not really personalizing whatever it is that you are teaching them. I have some students that I teach and sometimes I can go to class without reading anything because they won't ask you any question that will force you to think. They've not even bothered to read about the subject, much less to even ask you anything. And that shows that they are not being critical. They are not thinking, they are not trying to find things out for themselves. But if you have a class that is engaging, it keeps you as a leader um, in check. It keeps you active. So I think that leaders shouldn't always be comfortable with, okay, nobody's asking me any tough questions. It means everybody's fine. It actually means that there's a lot going on within them that you have no idea about. Or it also shows that whatever you're teaching them, they've not personalized it. It's just one of those things and they are flowing with it. So it's it's okay to have people question the things that you've taught, but I think we should be on top of our game. I mean, leaders should be on top of their game to be able to know how to address the questions and let the members know that you truly care about them. I think just the fact that they know you care about them is enough for them to relax and wait for your answer or wait for how you help them through that situation. Thank you. All right, thank you very much, Arba. Um, Sam, you can go and the the whole the question and also your final thoughts. Okay, I, I will also agree with Araba again that I want to use questions, not doubt. And the question simply shows that you are learning, you are interested, you are not just being brainwashed by the leader, but actually, and especially in Christianity, we all have access to the Father now. Jesus or God said that a time is coming that I will write my laws upon the tablets of their hearts. No man will need to go to anyone to say, teach me the ways of the Lord. So every shepherd will be enthused to see his member making stripes in the spirit. And as a good shepherd, that motivates you. But if your people are just uh, accepting everything and saying just like that, I don't think you should be happy. It may mean that they are not interested or you are brainwashing them. And finally, I think life is a continuous process of learning. Life is a continuous process of learning. There are certain scriptures I've read severally, but I will hear someone speak about the same scripture, not even adding anything, but it just gives me a different light. And I'm like, hey, have I been teaching? What have I been teaching or sharing all this while? So yet again, I'll repeat, we should be humble enough. And that's what will make um, this process of exiting our um, echo chamber and being comfortable and comfortable and very uh, better, if I should say, like a better word. Humility, again, is, it's, it's, it's very key. It's this humility that will let you know that leaving your comfort zone is not a shame. You may have believed in something wrong. It's not a shame. It is not, doesn't show that you are not smart, but it simply shows that you are learning. That's all I have to say. 
All right, that's great. I mean, we don't we don't want to stretch this conversation any further, but it gets to a point where let's say the leader or the shepherd might have built, let me put it this way, a structure. I mean, conceptually speaking, or I mean, doctrinally speaking, and you realize that at a point, a, a point in the a point closer to the foundation was not really firmly built, and what it means by the leader not lo- uh, losing the comfort of affirmation means that they should pull that block off and that will just topple the whole building down and they're like no i'm not really going to do this but sure i'm just passing this through it's something that you could probably think about in subsequent posts so company can come with your on the initial the whole idea of handling doubt and also your final thoughts and yeah yeah sure sure okay yes i think that yeah with doubts Think that almost everybody would have experienced would experience doubt at one point or the other. You know, even as you are still growing as a Christian, maybe there, there are certain things that you 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 may doubt. You know, maybe about the character of God because you'd be going through certain experiences. Even recently, I, I had you know such an experience myself, where I was you know like was doubt was beginning to creep in about whether God really loved me. You know, but then. Um, quickly, you just have to know that um, some of these thoughts, you know, they are from, you know, the devil, clearly, not from you, you know, and so you quickly have to um, discard them. But uh, on the other hand, too, sometimes when you have um, certain doubts, yeah, it clearly shows that you're engaging with what you've heard, engaging with what you've been taught, and you're thinking through it, like, can this be right? I think that that's um, a very good thing, that's an honorable thing, other than not thinking about it, okay, because you say this, that's the final, no. Yeah, that's why God has given you, you know, a brain as well, you know, so that you can also engage with what you've been doing. So, yeah, doubts are not necessarily bad, but whenever you have um, doubt, I think that one question that you can ask yourself is, okay, with this doubt that I'm having, am I willing to pursue and find out the truth at all costs? Or, you know, once you have the doubt, you don't even really pursue or go deep into finding um, the truth about the matter, and then. Um, the whole building comes down. That's the question you have to ask yourself. So, are you like genuinely interested in finding out the truth about this thing, or once you have it, it's like okay, that's it. You're not going to uh, pursue the truth of, of this matter, and because you doubt this thing, that's the end. That's the end of everything that you believe. I think we have to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves that question. And then, so and then, I think that that's also about the doubt thing. But on my final thoughts, I think there's a scripture that says that. You can do nothing uh, against the truth, but for the truth. Like trying to um, fight against the truth is like you're swimming against the tide. You know, win. There's, there's no way you're going to win that battle. And so losing the comfort of your affirmation, whether you're a leader or whether you're um, a sheep, whether you're a sheep or whether you're the shepherd, no matter what, it all boils down to the matter of truth. You can't fight it. You can't fight something that's true. And so no matter how hard you try to fight it, the truth, they're going to end up losing. And so you shouldn't, you shouldn't be scared of, you know, losing your comfort zone or losing the, um, the losing the comfort of affirmation. You shouldn't be scared of that at all because that's what truth does. When truth comes, it's going to take you out of that comfort that you know. Yeah, that's what I'll say. All right, that's part so much an exciting I mean, episode. Um, this episode actually, actually didn't really have a, a lot of points. I didn't know we could go further like this, but the Holy Spirit is really helping us and we appreciate Him. So, what about, um, we'll be also, I mean, we'll be not saying truth, 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 right? 
if, if you just Google truth, like, and you want to come from, should I say, the philosophical point, people say this in, like, centuries ago, I've actually dealt with this whole idea, what is truth and all that. So uh, our next episode, we'll be looking at uh, truth. I mean, <laughs> truth in a broader context, generally, and also we'll try and narrow it down to uh, Christian perspective, um, Christian context as well. And probably, I mean, truth is only found in a Christian context, so maybe we limit ourselves to. So just have to think through the the whole the whole dynamics about all these things, and we see how we can go from there. And on this top topic of losing uh, the comfort of affirmation, I think we should. I I I, uh, I think it, to a certain degree, uh, egos. Is it ego? Yeah, ego shouldn't be tied to what you've believed. How do I even put it? So much so that we form a identity on the information. Let's say that the, what we know to be true that we've shared. I don't know if it's clear because it gets to a point where your identity is tied to it, and you're like, you just want to be affirmed. You 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 don't want to come. You don't. You are your your whole personality or your whole being is tied to it, right? So that if there's a part of it that is a lie, you are unwilling to let go. But I think as we go, we should be open. There's this, I read something from C.S. Lewis, and he, in summary, he, he said that God is iconoclastic, right? The whole idea of you get to a point, you thought you've known something, and you are comfortable, then you go, you get to a place where like, nah. So what I knew was not really... The, the, the full meat, if I should put it this way. And you should be willing to, I don't know whether it's a safe thing to do, but as leaders, I think it gets to a point that I don't know it's a very safe answer to um, say to a sheep, right? I mean, in the right context, and as a wisdom leads you, at times, I don't know, it's, the plain I don't know is is, is, is a good answer. And I, I think we should be willing to, rather if we fear that, we are no longer going to be affirmed. Everything uh, we say would be, we we'll undergo some extreme scrutiny and we, we become, um, what do you call it, afraid of not getting uh, the following that you want. And it means possibly we are not following the I, the advice that our sheep should follow us as long as we are following Christ. So I believe that as we keep following Christ, we will be affirmed in some circumstances. We might lose that affirmation, but as long as as Kwampa has been iterating, um, um, if it's based on truth and we are humble enough, we believe that God would guide us through this whole process and we'll be able to keep our sheep and progress from there. So are we, by saying this, I, I think it's a safe place to end today's episode and God willing, next week we take it from there. So let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that you continuously show yourself to us and even when we feel that we are losing it, even when we feel that our immediate circle is against us for what we've believed, we're asking that you give us the wisdom on how to navigate this. When questions that seem very complex and doubts keep coming in, give us the grace to hold and capture, make uh, bring every thought under subjection to Jesus Christ in the mighty name of Jesus, that you believe that you help us to grow in faith. And Father Lord, you'll be able ministers who would be able to help others who might be going through similar phases in their Christian work. We thank you for being with us in this discussion and may your name continue to be glorified in our lives. Amen. Amen. Amen.
We hope the conversation was an enlightening one. Stick with us and keep listening to us as we delve deeper into the subject of exiting our echo chamber and truly learning how to be in the world, but not of the world, in the subsequent episodes. Thank you.